You are listening to EMS 2020, a podcast hosted by Spencer Oliver and myself, Chris Finkston. We are paramedics with quite a bit of experience, ranging from flight paramedicine to ground transportation to even some volunteer work as well. EMS 2020 reviews scenarios based on actual out-of-hospital medical scenes. Portions of the scenarios are altered to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. Welcome to EMS 2020. I'm Spencer. That there is Chris. Hello. And uh, this episode's going to focus on moving past roadblocks and, uh, you know, kind of I oof, whatever else we find <laughs> Yeah, <but laughs> as we kind of purse through this call. And what kind of roadblocks are we talking about? Because I can run into physical roadblocks while I drive the ambulance all the time. Mm, Fuck uh, We'll call them decision-making roadblocks. Okay. Uh, uh, for paramedics. Because um, this... Uh, this one's a good one. Uh, we've got a, essentially a brand new paramedic six months out of class. Um, and you know, Hey, well, you'll see. Well, I'm glad this one's a good one because I think we're too early in the show to be like, yeah, this one's going to suck a little bit. This is one of those skip episodes when you're going back over. <laughs> so that's, that's valid. All right. Yeah. Valid point. All right. So here's the call. This call takes place during the early afternoon hours up in a rural part of, uh, uh, a rural town. Uh, EMS response here is mostly BLS and volunteer fire uh, with one ALS ambulance unit uh, staffed with one paramedic. Uh, the paramedic, as I said, six months into being a paramedic and the closest hospital is approximately 50 minutes away by ground. Okay. So he's the only paramedic in this whole scene. So he is the only paramedic in this. Did you say city? Cause city's a strong uh, word. <laughs> I said scene, but close enough. Okay. Gotcha, because it's going to say, like, they have one blinking light, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> there's it's a not city. a city if you don't have a light. There's you the town. at least one road light. There's the town ATM machine, and it's really just bills <laughs> sitting on some money. <laughs> True story. I do believe this place has a uh, liquor, ammo, and hardware store <laughs> all combined into one. Slash church. <laughs> Slash church. Yeah. yeah uh, all right. So setting the scene, it's uh, about 3 p.m. Uh, on a warm 75 degree day. Uh, this is like midsummerish. Uh, EMS is dispatched to a possible allergic reaction at a private residence in this rural town. The ambulance arrives at a house that's under construction. The, clue, uh, the crew is led around by a family member to the back where an approximately 60-year-old male is lying supine on the ground. The patient is warm, pale, diaphoretic, and is notably confused. Hmm. Uh, the patient does not know place, time, or events. Uh, and the family member states that about 30 minutes ago, they were working up on a ladder when the patient was stung by a bee. He climbed down. They removed the stinger with tweezers and went back to work on the house. About 10 minutes ago, the patient reported feeling nauseated and lightheaded and climbed back down the ladder to get a drink of water. The family member came to check on him and found him sitting on the ground, appearing ill. Huh. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. There's kind of a couple things going on here. This is interesting. All right. So an exam is performed. The patient denies any pain, but states very woozily, I feel like this is a dream. Oh. His mental status is unchanged. Uh, the medic tries to feel for a palpable pulse, uh, radial pulse, and is unable to do that. The patient's work of breathing is non-labored, and he's breathing about 20 times a minute. There is no strider. There's no wheezing. 
Uh, there are no hives on the patient's body. There is just a small red mark on the shoulder where the patient was stung and there's no stinger noted. Uh, the patient denies any pain again at this time. Uh, the medic tries to establish a better history and ask the pe- you know, family member if there's any like drugs or alcohol, uh, which the family member emphatically denies. No, uh, no reports or signs of trauma are present. The patient has no significant medical history of pro- like heart problems or strokes, and he's not a diabetic. So we have this guy who's essentially, you know, laying supine on the ground altered diaphoretic warm to the touch but pale and uh that's 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 it and was stung by a bee like 30 minutes ago well i've got a couple thoughts on this guy so far not knowing kind of where the story goes um there's a few thoughts here so so one and this is my maybe jaded been doing it too long sort of take but um Whenever anyone emphatically denies drugs or alcohol, that usually means there is a history of being accused of using drugs and alcohol, in my opinion. Like, it always seems to lead that way. That being said, um, I don't know that that's the case here. I think there's too many other factors to really go that route. I I share your skepticism uh, because that was one of the first things I, you know, was kind of as I was gathering the story, I was trying to figure out and like, well, you know, like, mm-hmm. did they though? Yeah. <laughs> like, Usually when it's and, like, uh, any drug or alcohol history? No, never. And it's like, yeah, never I, except for five years ago when they did it all the time. You right. know, like, yeah. From the, from the paramedics telling of this, he, he, he genuinely believed them. Um, okay. Uh, and there wasn't any like odor of alcohol or, you know, like no reason to suspect. Yeah. Yeah, no reason to suspect. Um, he didn't fall off his roof onto a pile of hypodermic needles. Like that wasn't it, the case. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like where you go and you're like, huh, look at all those uh, markings on your skin uh, yeah. from you know, the meth leaching out of you. Like, <laughs> no, I never use meth, man. Like, swear. Your sweat as crystallizes they, like, into pure glass. You know? <laughs> right. As they, as they like scratch another invisible bug off them. Um, <laughs> well, so. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, uh, continue on. Yeah, so there's a couple other thoughts here. Um, so okay. let's kind of talk about let's talk about the possibility of anaphylaxis because he was stung by a bee. And so right now, because kind of signs of anaphylaxis you're going to be looking for is you look for uh, bronchoconstriction, which is going to have uh, the wheezing and some low SAO2 accompanied by it. There is no strider or wheezing in this patient. Yep. Uh, the other thing you're going to be looking for is skin size. Uh, skin signs like hives. There is no hives in this patient. But the other thing you're going to be looking at is hypoxia. Now, we haven't gotten a blood pressure yet, uh, but... Hy- hypoxia or hypotension? Or, I'm sorry, hypotension. You're right. Uh, well, and hypoxia as well. But um, yeah. but hypotension is what I meant to say. Uh, but when you're talking about, when you start looking at things like he's pale and diaphoretic and confused, those are all things that could go along with hypotension. Uh, so I don't have a blood pressure yet, but that does lead some credibility to anaphylaxis. Now, the other thing is I start thinking about working on a roof. Every time it gets hot, I start thinking about roof workers because we go on a ton of workers who are exposed to sunlight and people who are working on roofs are exposed more than anybody else. They're on a roof for God's sakes. The roof is the shade for everything below it, not above it. So they get a lot of exposure to heat. However, we're talking about a 75 degree day. Now, 75 degrees, you're in your 60s and you're working. That might be a lot. There might be some overexertion, maybe some heat related uh, in 
you know, insult here, but it, that seems weak to me. Given 75 degrees, that seems, you know, some possible yeah. sort of like heat stroke or heat related symptoms seems and weak. What, and my understanding is with like, so like there's heat exhaustion, right? You know, like, and these are all on a continuum. So at, right. you know, at some point, like when you get into the part where you're like, where you have heat stroke and you enter that like altered mental status, you also like your skin should be hot because you no longer, you know, like you're, you no longer are able to sweat. You're, right. You know, like your skin should be hot to touch red, um, you know, and that, and that's sort of where you get into that more of that, um, yeah. Like if I understand correctly, that sort of physiology, but and exactly like because this guy's skin, it's warm, uh, but it's pale, not red. It's diaphoretic, not dry. Mm-hmm. Um, he is confused. So I think right now I'm going to be looking towards something that's going to be causing hypotension, which uh, could be anaphylaxis or we could have another cardiac event entirely separate from that bee sting going on. Yeah, the bee sting could be a red herring. Absolutely. <laughs> Could be a fish instead of a bee. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Looking for fishes. Oh, fishes. God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's continue. All right. So uh, the medic at this point uh, attempts to sit the patient upright uh, into a sitting position, and suddenly the, begin- the patient begins shaking his head violently back and forth, uh, almost falling backwards. Now, is this uh, like medic- in a no motion or a yes motion? Like a no motion. Just, okay. you know, like like a dog trying to get the water off his body is okay. what it was described to me. Uh, which was like the, the medic recreated it. It was super weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, uh, and the pa- uh, apparently uh, the medic recalls yelling at his partner to go get for said, believing that suddenly the patient might be have started seizing. Uh, the patient stops shaking, uh, when laying flat again, and then makes another confused comment about feeling, uh, out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at this point, the patient is lifted onto the stretcher, uh, and moved into the ambulance and transport has started code one and the patient's family member is brought along, but you know, rides up front. Good. So in the ambulance, the patient is placed on the monitor. Uh, the SpO2 doesn't read, never gets a plus wave, and the NIBP comes back. Question mark, quark, question mark, question mark, over, question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, the leads are incredibly difficult to place on the patient, uh, the cardiac leads, that is, uh, due to the significant amount of diaphoresis. Uh, and then the medic attempts to auscultate a blood pressure but is unable to do so, but continues to try to get a blood pressure uh, because at this point, as he explains it, he has nothing. He has no vital signs. He can't get a palpable pulse. The monitor isn't reading very well because the leads pop off. The SpO2 isn't getting a pulse. Mm. Uh, the patient is alert but confused and is not improved in his mental status at all. And, well, for the love of God, he also can't get a blood pressure. This is beginning um, to look more and more to me like some sort of like he's profoundly hypotensive. That that would seem to be the case. I okay. would think so. Uh, so uh, eventually he gets the leads to stick, shows a uh, normal sinus rhythm, uh, presumably in the 80s. I am getting this in like this is this is a story that happened not at all recently. So uh <clears throat> Uh, several attempts were made to adjust the SpO2 so that it can read, 
without luck. Uh, the medic decides uh, he should at least check a blood sugar, and it comes back normal. Okay. <laughs> Which actually isn't a bad idea. I, you know, I, I mean, I, mean, I know altered. that the patient's not a, you know, not a uh, diabetic, uh, and the odds of, you know, uh, of of him having a low blood sugar are just sort of out there, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's altered mental status, you know, yeah. Especially if someone's been outside working and burning sugar. So that could very well be. For sure. Uh, so the patient continues to remain confused is, uh, he's unable to provide any more history and no further information is available from the family member to clarify any further in the problem. Okay. So this is where we're at. We're now, probably about 15 minutes into the transport and the medic finally uh, decides to initiate an 18 gauge IV in the left AC starts a fluid bolus of uh, normal saline uh, 500 mils wide open. Uh, there is no change in the patient's condition. Uh, he pulls out the protocol guide and despite that and decides that despite the lack of hives and strider, this has to be an anaphylactic reaction because that's the only thing that he has is the bee sting 30 minutes ago. Nothing else seems to fit yeah, into I mean, this. His heart rate is normal. I mean, what did you say? It was in the 80s? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what he recalled it being. It was a normal sinus. Was it was a 12 lead done? Do we know? 12 lead was not done at this time. Okay. Um. So, uh, consulting the protocol guide, uh, the protocol guide at that time said, if you have a blood pressure over 90 and signs of anaphylaxis, administer, you know, subcutaneous, uh, epinephrine one to 1000. Uh, but if you have a blood pressure that's less than 90, um, go ahead and do an IV push, uh, with one to 10,000. It's the same dose, 0 0.3, yeah. uh, milligrams. And so, uh, the, uh, as he explains it, he kind of sat on that and just tried to rack his brain to make sure there wasn't something else that he was missing and ultimately decided, uh, fuck it. This is what I have. So here we go. Uh, and he went ahead and, uh, pushed the, uh, 0.3, one to 10,000 epi via IV, uh, and said, well, I can't, I can't even get a blood pressure. So, um, that's probably less than 90. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> it's fair. Uh, so within, within like seconds of administering the medication, uh, he said that the patient like actually looked more alert, uh, and less dazed appearing and seemed to speak more clearly. And, uh, he asked the patient like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, are you doing okay? And the patient went like, yeah, I feel better. And then he uh, sat upright and immediately began projectile vomiting, like profusely projectile Perfect. vomiting. Wow. Uh, to the point where the paramedic was so alarmed that he yelled at his partner to start transporting code three uh, because, and there's a couple reasons for this. Uh, basically, he wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Yeah. He also had the patient, he managed to get the leads to stick on the patient's chest and was looking at the cardiac monitor after the epinephrine administration. And uh, it 
he's like, I don't know what it was. It looked really, really bad. Um, <laughs> was it fast or slow? A or lot what? of lines. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. This is just a lot of shit. I think he was uh, telling me there was an earthquake. I'm not sure what was on there. And then uh, he said that uh, as the patient, can, and he's like, it was a lot of vomit. And it was basically, he was like, I was sure I was covered. Uh, he's like, and then I saw blood in the, uh, as it's, you know, blood is running on the floorboard of the ambulance while the patient is vomiting. So now he's like, oh my God, I just murdered this patient because I gave them epi and now they're bleeding to death and vomiting. Like I've torn, they've torn something, you know, something um, bad has happened. Something terrible has happened and I'm going to like, I'm, I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I have made not a only decision. have I killed a person, but I, you know, like it's medical malpractice and I'm dead. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and they're dead. Uh, so uh, after the episode of vomiting, the patient uh, actually laid back down on the stretcher, uh, remained alert oriented, uh, denied any pain, but reported nausea. Uh, the blood, as it turns out, was from the IV line that uh, uh, had uh, pulled out. Uh, because uh, so what had happened was, as he explained it, he had put one of the, you know, Tagaderm Vanaguard products over the IV site, but it didn't stick. So he'd secured it with a uh, cling wrap uh, and uh, or, you know, just sort of like wrapped it down. Uh, well, when the patient uh, started vomiting, that became dislodged. And so saline and uh, the IV catheter had pulled out a little bit and blood had started to like flow out of the IV site. So that was where the blood was coming from. It was actually just a mix of blood and saline uh, <laughs> on top of all the vomit. So the IV line was replaced and then a 12 lead was performed. <laughs> uh, but at that point, uh, no further interventions were given. Uh, the transport had been upgraded to code three during the episode and approximately 10 minutes from the emergency department, the pulse oximeter read 95% and okay. the medic was finally able to get a BP on arrival to the emergency department of 90 by palp. This is just that patient you hate to roll into the ED. <laughs> like it just, it's a guy, here's a story. I gave a drug, there's vomit everywhere and I have one blood pressure for you. Uh, here you go. <laughs> like it's just, you just hate giving this person. It was, it was a, it was a pretty remarkable story. And uh, it's one of those where also, you, like, you want to look at the nurses and be like, I have to do this by myself, okay? By myself. That's what I have to do. <laughs> In an ambulance well, that moves. So that was one of the first comments he got, because uh, the doctor and, the, you know, the, the entire team were there. And they said, so you gave one, just one dose of epi? It, like, did you give any Benadryl? Did you give, you know, anything else? And the, he's, he's, the medic says, he's like, I looked at the staff and I went like, yeah, I just gave the one. <laughs> he's like, like, you weren't there, man. <laughs> and then I started crying, okay? Uh, now, and they, not like I a think, pretty cry either, like an ugly cry. Like a Blair Witch I, Project boogers coming out of the nose cry. Nice. Oh, wow. That's a pull. There it is. <laughs> Oof. 1999. But for everyone that's seen that movie, that made perfect sense. That, nice. Um, the, he, so here's the thing. Here's the reason this call resonated with me was because uh, it feels relatable. Uh, you know, like. Oh, I, it's absolutely relatable. When I was in medical school, there was a big emphasis on 
you got to figure out what, like, you have to recall what, like, the underlying pathophysiologies, like, the, the, you know, like, is this CHF? You know, is this, like, it's not, you can't just go, like, oh, these are the symptoms, I'm going to treat it. You had to figure out kind of what the underlying cause was. And it's paralyzing in a way if that's how you're trying to work and you don't know the underlying cause and you're not sure of the underlying cause because what they don't tell you is that not everyone will play by the paramedic textbook. I mean, they, they like they tell you that, but they, it's like, you don't get that. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. You know, like here is an a- patient who by all accounts is having an anaphylactic reaction, but they're not having it immediately. They didn't have any prior history of, you know, anaphylactic reactions to bee sting. It's happening 30 minutes after the fact, and it's just hypotension. There isn't any strider. There isn't any hives. There aren't any other, those skin signs that cue you in to like, Oh God, this is a patient who really needs. And, and, and the reason this is, um, this is sort of a, an important thing is because like this medic was, you know, at the time he, he couldn't proceed forward until he knew because he didn't want to, you know, find out it, he was treating the wrong thing and then he was treating it inappropriately because of, you know, like, why did you think it was an anaphylactic reaction? There were no skin signs. There was no strider. It was hypotension caused by this other thing that you totally didn't think of, you moron. And the other thing. And then you gave him epi. You idiot. Yeah. The one thing that would kill this mysterious person, you know, this (laughs) this person with this mysterious illness that you should have known about. You monster. And honestly, uh, you know, to the medic's credit, the two at the beginning, because the best thing about anaphylaxis is anaphylaxis, when you're given epinephrine, you really don't want to delay that. Once you've determine something is anaphylaxis, the epinephrine needs to get on board quickly. Unfortunately for this medic, like you just said, it didn't present like a stereotypical anaphylaxis. So the medic here has to make a decision. The two, for me, at the beginning of this call, the two most likely candidates were something cardiac or anaphylaxis. And there are a, a plenty of cardiac conditions that you do not want to feed epinephrine to. Sure. But the other option was something that you definitely feed epinephrine to. Sure. So we come to a decision roadblock here. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and looking back, I, I think it's absolutely fair to go like, hey, let's get a 12 lead done. You know, like, yes, he's not having any chest pain. He's not having any shortness of breath. He does have some nausea, but like, ooh, something is wrong. You know, and, and it might have been prudent to quickly do a 12 lead beforehand. I think that's definitely a fair criticism to rule out. You go like, Hey, look, I did a 12 lead. It, I didn't see, you know, any ST changes, you know, depressions, elevations or otherwise. Um, and kind of just, you know, be able to, to confidently say that if the patient is in profound shock where their heart rate is, you know, is, is, you know, where their blood pressure is so low that they don't have a palpable radio pulse. You can't hear a blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you can't hear a blood pressure, the blood pressure is low. Yeah. You know, very low. Um, you know, and if, and the other part of this is, you know, uh, the medic, uh, states, uh, he just, he wasn't confident that he was right, that what he was hearing was reality because there are patients that you go on where you can try and auscultate a blood pressure and, you know, like they're awake and talking to you and you just, 
you know, for whatever reason, can't hear it. I've, I've encountered that myself. You know, it, it helps having a better stethoscope than, you know, the, the, the stock stethoscope in the back of the ambulance. Um, right. But yeah. Um, yeah. That's also like the really nice ones where you, you know, you could actually hear the things that you want to hear also sort of prohibitively expensive sometimes. So if somebody is that hypotensive, then, you know, even if there, there is sort of a like, oh, goddamn, dude, like the risks of giving, you know, like a, you know, like a push dose of epi or, you know, like a small dose of epi outweigh the benefits because, you know, like your heart also will not work very well. Like none of your body will work very well if it's that hypo perfused. Right. Did you mean and to say so, that the benefits outweigh the risk? Yes. So the, the, there might be, you know, there, there may be this, you know, argument to be had about, you know, like, fuck, if they don't have a blood pressure, you know, like give them a fluid challenge. If that doesn't improve, then it might be time to consider like a presser in a patient that's not, you know, there, where there's no indication that they're bleeding anywhere. Yeah. And that's a very good um, point. And I don't believe a fluid challenge was given in this case, was it? Uh, it was, but it, I mean, <laughs> we're talking like, he he spent we'll just say a very long time yeah well, trying to confirm the vitals that he didn't have <laughs> well so it looks like and, and i believe i'm looking at the beginning here the closest hospital was about an hour away 50 minutes about an hour away yeah um so there would have been time for plenty of fluid would have been yeah <laughs> but you know but hey you know in an hour he managed to give one dose of epi so hey but uh, <laughs> Good on them. Yeah. It, it, it's just like, side note to the audience, like this, we're slightly disparaging, but he was also disparaging. So right. he's yeah. cool with it. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> he's good. Because uh, this is one of the, you know, this is just one of those, I, it's, I mean, it's a hard story because, you know, like the fact that the patient didn't, uh, yeah, like didn't die. Like this is one of those where like the patient easily could have gone into like a PEA arrest. Yep. And then, you know, and, and then he would have, you know, like, and it, you know, like had it gone to review, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. And um, ultimately you got to look at the other things too. This patient really didn't seem to ever have an airway compromise. And on no. the, and on the anaphylaxis calls that I've been on, I, I seem to have had to fight the airway compromise. That's been the biggest concerns. Uh, for me, I mean, obviously yeah. the hypotension's along with it, but to me, it's always kind of like I feel like the airway becomes the more pressing issue along with the hypotension. In this case, there was just the hypotension to treat, and we also got to really consider the position this medic is in. One, he's the only medic on scene. Two, has half a year, six months. That's it uh, in a very rural system. So who knows what kind of volume, call volume, this paramedic got uh, in that system to begin with? And now you're talking about a very complex call where you have to start making some pretty serious decisions because epinephrine, epinephrine is really good at the things that it treats, but it also has some pretty dangerous side effects that you really got to be careful of. So there's going to be a strong desire to want to absolutely verify your findings. And I will tell you one of the things that I find myself second guessing, even now, 15 years into this, even now, blood pressures, I would say, is probably one of the number one things that I'm always verifying in terms of vital signs. Uh, blood pressure and I would say lung sounds are the two things that I'm almost always double checking. Um, and the main reason being is we have a big reliance on auto cuffs these days. 
This is true. Yeah. They tend to put out some pretty wonky numbers sometimes. You mean the random number generators generate yeah. random numbers? Yeah. What do you know? Um, Weird. Well, I can actually tell you, we were on a patient who was completely coded. And uh, it was a, a brief digression. But we were, I was on a patient once that was completely coded. Maybe I'll make this into another episode. Um, where the agency that was on scene prior was saying, oh, it's not a code. We got a blood pressure. I'm like, okay. And I didn't think to ask what the blood pressure they got was. But I'm looking at this guy and he looks like he needs CPR, you know, like the skin <laughs> looks bad. And yeah. finally I go, what was the blood pressure you guys got? And they're like, oh, let me read it. Uh, 248 over 200. And I'm like, that's not a real pressure. Like your machine just put out some weird numbers. That's not a real pressure. And I went to go check a carotid pulse and there was none. And I'm like, we need to do compressions. That's literally how this code went. Um, yeah. So yeah, I find myself double checking blood pressures all the time. And uh, so I can't, so on one hand, I think it's easy to kind of take pop shots like we have been at this medic uh, for taking forever to finally give Epi. Um, but at the same time, newer medic, this guy really yeah. doesn't fit easily into any one category. No. Um, and he's not able to really confirm vital signs. <clears throat> I really can't fault a newer medic for taking their time to verify the correct choice. However, I think this is a good lesson in... Uh, decision-making roadblocks in the sense that sooner or later you do need to make a choice. And I will kind of push back at the, um, I think this is a good call to kind of push back at a lot of people are, well, I don't know, drive faster sort of things. When you're sure. in a rural system, driving faster isn't really a good fix. And sometimes you have to make a decision and not making a decision is a decision in and of itself. Uh, but you know, what would have made the only thing that would have made this call worse is if the paramedic never made a decision. I think what would have made this call better is if the paramedic kind of went with his gut to begin with and made the decision earlier on. I think so. And I think, I, I think another roadblock here, cause I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think, uh, another roadblock too was this, uh, there was a lot of fixation on trying to get vitals. Uh, um, true. Yeah. You know, there, there was, 10, 10 plus minutes spent trying to obtain a, a pulse and a blood pressure. Um, and then eventually you kind of went like, well, fuck it. I might as well get a CBG. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe. Right. <laughs> oh, Which again, isn't note. a terrible idea, but side note, how epic would that have been if the CBG, if the glucometer had given him like an E3 error? <laughs> 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 just everything's throwing bullshit his way. Just no as a, just one final fuck you. No CBG, yeah. <laughs> no blood pressure. Uh, Jesus. Uh, but alas, he did. He was able to get one thing. Uh, but the, the is reason E3, I say is that the battery is that the change the battery or is that I, bad strip? I don't know. It's you know, it's, it's the glucometer basically going like I don't wanna. That's that's what I, <laughs> that's all I know. I, I've heard that it's cold. I've heard that it's the battery. I've heard that it's just the glucometer refusing to work. I don't Basically, know. Basically, you're it, getting nothing. That's what it means. I, it just means no. I, but, you know, the funny thing is, is, um, I, we had this yesterday where my partner was trying to get a, uh, CBG off this patient. And it, it, you know, the, it was the, uh, the site where he had was, uh, where he'd poked was, uh, just, it was like dribbling out blood and not giving out the, you know, full dollop of Daisy that you need. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, like 
it that was more of like a rate of absorption thing, I think, for the CBG kit. But it also came up with an E3 error. So I think E3 is just a general, like, yeah. It's the Can't question it. mark, question mark, question mark over question mark, question mark, question mark. Gotcha. Um, but it, the reason I say, like, the fixation on the vitals was because he sort I mean, it, this, he really – and. You know, like I, I've been there. We've all been there. We've fixated on like one thing and ignored, you know, like, we, you know, you don't, is it, you don't see the forest for the trees. Right. You know, or you're like, you're focused on one tree and there's a forest, you know, of evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a patient who's diaphoretic who just doesn't, you're like, he's altered and he doesn't have a palpable radial pulse. You, you really don't need numbers. I, I you know, in my opinion, you go like, hey, I, I can't get it. You, it's it's okay to say like, I can't even palpate a radial pulse. I can't palpate a good carotid pulse. I can't palpate, you know, like, uh, and his his skin signs match what I'm finding. I think that's absolutely fair to just go like, yeah, the like the patient is yeah hypoperfusing. I, yeah, exactly. I, I I agree. We talked about in in another episode. We had talked about how um, in kids, blood pressure is not a good is not a good signifier for um, hypotension because blood, uh, failing blood pressure in a child is way late in the game. And I think uh, in both kids and in this patient, and I think paramedics in general uh, have a fixation on blood pressure as a key indicator for hypotension. And they kind of tend to forget the rest. I mean, to me, there was a strong case for hypoperfusion. And I think I even said it as you were reading the story. Uh, yeah. You know, we talked about because that's right, because we were talking about kind of my thoughts so far, and I mentioned we don't have a blood pressure yet, but I think he's hypoperfused. And I, and then when you were telling me the story and you said, the SpO2 won't read and an IBP comes back question marks over question marks, that to me, I'm like, all right, this guy's hypoperfused. And that to me is enough. Because one of the big things to remember about an SpO2 monitor is you have to have a pulse actually making it to the finger for it to <laughs> read something. Yeah. So if the guy's skin looks like shit... And you're not getting a SAT reading and the the automatic blood pressure cuff is like, I don't know, man. Uh, then this patient has enough signs of being hypoperfused that spending all this time on the blood pressure really yeah. isn't worth it. And the other thing you got to consider, too, is the only thing that really keeps this patient. And think about this. The line between calling this patient hypoperfused and PEA is his level of consciousness right now which BT dubs currently sucks because if you had the same patient and he was unresponsive and you couldn't palpable blood pressure, you couldn't get all these things. What would you call it? Spence? Uh, an E3 error. <laughs> right. You would call yeah. this a code. This would be, this would be a PEA code. Yeah. So he, so he's, yeah. So he, he is literally one. The only thing that separates him between him being a code and him not being is him thinking he's in a dream and being able to verbalize that. And that is it. <laughs> and that's not great. So I think you have enough signs and symptoms here that, you know what? He's hyper perfused. Yeah. We don't really need to do much so, more calculation on this. So here, I guess here's a question for you. Um, you know, I imagine you're in, you know, you're a new paramedic, you're listening to this episode and then you find yourself on a call similar to this, where you have this sort of like, uh, idiopathic, you know, unknown reason, you know, you have the same patient, you've got a bee sting that happened, you know, a billion years ago, you know, and nothing really, nothing is just a sure sign for anything. So 
you know, what would you do? You're unsure. You want to be sure before you, you, you feel like you want to be sure before you push Epi. Cause you know, hmm. fuck, you don't want to make the mysterious illness like that. You know, it turns out that that's the one thing that the mysterious illness needs to kill the patient is the Epi, you know, or you know, whatever sort of concoction that, you know, the, the, the paramedic has created in their head. Um, what, what would you do? Like, how do you work past that? Well, you know, it's kind of hard for me to be back in that scenario again. Um, I think when you're, when you're a medic that's been around the block a little bit, this is easier because you get to pull from experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You get to pull from recognition. Yeah. yeah. But, but when you don't have that experience, I think this is kind of one of the things to start consider is, um, you know, look at it as a scale. You know, you've got uh, one option on one side and the other option on the other side. You've got, okay, it's something cardiac or okay, it's anaphylaxis on the other side. And just start stacking reasons uh, on that scale. All right. You know, wh- why would it be anaphylaxis or why would it be hypoperfuse? Let's just, let's just go with that. Let's not worry okay. about anaphylaxis or cardiac. Are they hypoperfusing or not? Because that's really the question this paramedic was asking himself, right? And that's why he kept getting hung up on trying to get that blood pressure for so long, right? So start putting things in buckets of, all right, what would make him not hyper? What would say he's not hyperperfused? Well, a good a good blood pressure would say he's not hyperperfused. So put that on one side. Well, what about the other side? What would say he is hyperperfused? His mental status, drop that in there. His skin condition, drop that in there. The fact that I can't get a SAT, drop that in there. The fact that I can't palpa radial, drop that in there. And now all of a sudden the decision becomes pretty clear. And I think it just becomes a matter of being able to uh, look at your decision, separate it on both sides, do a T chart if that makes you happier, and start putting the and start putting the evidence in there. Because at the end of the day, you might be wrong, and I'm going to point that out there. I can't. Yeah. There's no podcast. There's no doctor. No one can save you from being wrong because it's going to happen, and you might be wrong. But if you do this T chart, or if you do this weighing the scales, and you have to sit down in front of your medical uh, director and tell them why you made the decisions you did, this will help you at that point too. You'll be able to say, "Look, I saw a hypoperfusing patient. The only thing I had to go on was a bee sting. These are the reasons I gave epi. I saw I was hypoperfusing. The only thing I didn't have was a blood pressure, but every other sign showed a hypoperfusing patient who just got stung by a bee who has no other history." That's really easy to explain to your medical director. What would be very difficult to explain to your medical director is to come back and say, well, I didn't know if he was hypoperfused. And when the medical director just basically blurts out that T-chart that you should have made yourself to you, you're going to have a lot harder time explaining that to your medical director. So that's what I would say you should do. If you're new, just try and be objective. Make a T-chart. If it Works better to have like the scales of justice in your head and you're putting evidence on either side of those scales. Do that. Um, and I, I've repeated this in several other episodes. Always have clinical backing for your decisions. And I think that's kind of what's going to get you through if you're newer and you don't have the experience to rely on. If you can't say, I've seen this before. If you can't say that, take your signs, weigh them out, come to a conclusion. Because either you're going to be right or you're going to have a really good reason to be wrong. Yeah. I, I absolutely 100% agree with that. And I think if you do find yourself in a situation like this medic where you're fixating on trying to get numbers and they're just not coming, start, take a step back and take that sort of like that big over picture, you know, the, the big overview and go like, okay, 
I can't get a blood pressure. I, you know, like why? And, and then go like, Oh, maybe because he just doesn't have a good enough one to get because of all the information, you know, and, and pull yourself out of trying to, trying to just, you know, you can waste so much time trying to do one thing because, you know, like, Oh, I just want to do this. Like, I just need to get this one IV in. I just need to do this one thing. And it can, it, 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 suddenly you find yourself at the ER and all you've done is, you know, attempted, you know, 30 times one IV and then you haven't done anything else. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that's the, yeah, the Medicare fixating on, on trying to get the, those vitals, um, when he could have taken a step back and, and just kind of seen, you know, and then combine that with the T chart. And that sort of gives you the, you know, like if you're trying to figure out the etiology or the, the cause of, of why this patient is the way they are, you know, like that's a great way to, to break it down. Yeah, no, this is a good one. This is one of those that I think a lot of medics are going to find themselves in. And this is kind of why we do this podcast is we don't want to, there's no reason to present you a typical case that you can read about in any book. We want to present you with the confusing ones. And that's exactly what this call uh, is. But uh, yeah, no, great call. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn on this one, especially about being a new medic and kind of how to move forward with the decision. As an aside, I tried to look up information about, you know, like, all right, how, you know, cause it seemed like an atypical presentation, but, you know, it seemed, you know, it seems plausible, you know, obviously that this is an anaphylactic reaction, especially since the, you know, I don't know if the patient responded positively to the, <laughs> to the epi eventually. Um, but I couldn't find any data to, you know, like, to, to, you know, that shows like, yeah, you know, 33% of the time patients will present with just hypotension. Uh, hmm. I couldn't find a breakdown of that. You know, uh, all the educational material I seemed to, I, I came across basically was like hypotension is a bad sign in anaphylaxis and you need to treat it with epi right away. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Strider, an ominous sign. <laughs> uh, Combining those with skin signs makes it even easier. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah. Well, this guy was it easy. Well, it's going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, and then, as always, you know, if you if you just find yourself lost, I think, uh, and you have a an on you know a doctor that you can call, you know, and I don't know, this is a rural area. There might not be cell service or you know good radio communication or you know whatever. Stop that. I don't. There's I'm not a sure telegram. I wasn't, I'm not sure if that's a viable option for, uh, for, for this medic at, at the point that they were at, but, um. Well, if you go yeah. to the gun store slash church slash liquor store, there's actually a telegraph where you can get to the local <laughs> hospital that way. Right. Uh, oh man, I, you know, like, <laughs> does anybody just have a phone, like a regular <laughs> phone anymore? Is that a thing or is that just gone? In that town? I'm sure there's probably a rotary one that the public can use. <laughs> It's one of those old timey phones where you grab the earpiece off and then you talk into the like the phone box. <laughs> Martha's in the operator booth physically connecting the lines. That's uh chain smoking but, her way to death. Yeah, if you find yourself lost, uh yeah, uh online medical controls a is a good resource. Yeah. Uh just sort of and just be ready to explain like, hey, I'm I'm lost. I here's here's what's going on. Yeah. So Sweet. 
I think right. that uh, I think that uh, pretty much beats the dirt out of this thing. Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of EMS 2020. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode, and we will see you then. All right. Take care. Bye.